Um, my name's Becky Johnson. I'm married to a really good-looking guy. His name's Derek Johnson. He's a worship leader. He's the worship pastor at our church. We've got three really cute kids. Um, I was born in the Midwest, born and raised. I moved to California when I was 17 because, like your pastor Justin, my life got marked by a youth ministry called Jesus Culture, and I followed it. I just wanted to, to go where it was, and so I packed up my car, a 1984 Fifth Avenue New Yorker, only the adults in the room, appreciate that, and we drove it from Indiana to California because I just wanted to, I wanted to be where God was. I wanted to be a part of what he was doing, and so I started working with Jesus Culture shortly after, and I've been with Jesus Culture for 12 years. I was the youth pastor for eight years. I was the first youth pastor of Jesus Culture Church, and uh, last year I became the executive pastor, but I love teenagers. I love youth ministry. There's so much that I love about you guys. I love the confidence of 17-year-old boys, Amen. When my, when my husband, Derek, we, we met, I was 15 and he was 17 when we met. We've been high school sweethearts, got married. Um, so we've been together for a long time. Now, when we were first dating, we went to a really nice restaurant. He really wanted to impress me, took me out on a date, took me to Pizza Hut. And um, he's 17 years old. He's about a buck 45, blonde hair, blue eyes, pimples everywhere. And he goes in, and, and we're going we're gonna to go to, y'all don't know about this, but we're going to go to Blockbuster and get a movie. You don't know about Blockbuster. You don't know that. Like, don't cheer. Don't cheer like you know. You don't know anything about Blockbuster. We're going to go to Blockbuster and get a movie, and we're going to take pizza to go, and we're going to go on a, this little, like, cute date, okay? So he, I stay in the car. He goes into Pizza Hut to order our pizza. And I wait in the car. Now he goes into Pizza Hut, girlfriend's in the car, and he, he places our order. He's 17 years old. This is what I love, the confidence of a 17-year-old. And so he orders the pizza, and the girl goes, can I get your number? And he goes, listen, I'm flattered. But uh, my girlfriend's in the car, actually, so I'm taken. And she looks at him like, yeah, it's for the pizza. He's like, I knew that, totally. This is the, uh, he got to tell me that when he got in, I just made fun of him forever, and it's, oh, it's been over 18 years since that happened. I still make fun of him. I said, you thought she was hitting on you. You're not that good looking, okay? Um, I love teenagers. I love youth ministry, but I just want to tell you guys, youth ministry is hard. Amen, Justin? Youth leaders, youth ministry is really, really hard. And so I need to set some ground rules for you. I need to let you in a little bit behind the curtain of youth ministry and what your youth pastors are dealing with and what your youth leaders are dealing with. And I need you to make a change this weekend that's gonna help me out. This is a selfish request, but then it's really gonna help Justin and the youth team at Grace City out, okay? So here's the problem with teenagers. You're amazing. I love you. I think God has great plans for your generation, and I love that you're all here and we're gonna have fun. But can I tell you what your problem is? Your face. It's a big problem for me. Listen. I told you, I'm just going to talk to you tonight. Your face is a big problem for me. So here's the thing. I get to preach to adults. Now, adults are wonderful to preach to because you know what adults have that you don't have? Empathy. Okay? Adults have something called social Empathy. They have uh, this type of like, hey, I understand that you're up there preaching is vulnerable. Not everybody can do it. And so I'm going to laugh when you make a joke. I'm going to smile. I'm going to look engaged. I'm going to clap. I'm going to respond. Adults understand and they work with me, right? And that's, that's because they have empathy for me. Now you, I don't think it's been quite developed yet, even with your southern charm and your politeness and your yes ma'am. Y'all don't quite have it yet because I'm looking at about 150 faces. And I'm like, what is wrong with your face? Like, am I just bombing up here? It's amazing. <laughs> I like it. You know, I'm like, okay, so here's the thing. Your face is your problem. And some of you girls getting giving me sassy vibes right now. So I just need you to fix your face. I just need you to, like, soften it up. I just need you to smile when I make a joke. If I make a good point, you know, amen, that's good. Not your neighbor. Come on. Yes, ma'am, I like that. And that is really going to go a long way for us here, and it's going to go a long way for Justin, okay? And this is, I, I have permission to talk about your face from one of you guys. Like, I was preaching uh, a youth pastor, you know, 
however many years, I'm sitting at coffee with one of the girls, and I just had hit a point where I'm like, what do you want? Like, this is just so hard. Ministry is brutal. You guys are just really honest. We're competing with your phone and, and your Doritos and how boys like to crunch up the water bottle in their pocket because that seems to be nice to do right when we're preaching on a Wednesday night. And so I'm sitting across the Starbucks table from her, and she's got her, you know, extra crunchy mocha, frappa, caramel, whatever, with the whip and the grande. And I'm like, what do you want? Like, I don't know what you want. I don't know how to reach your generation because you are not excited about youth. So you tell me, help me help you. What do you want? And she's like, I love youth. I'm like, you love it? She's like, I love it. I love what we do. I love this. I love when we do encounter nights and I love the games and I, I love our small groups and I love your preaching. I love youth. I, I love it. And I'm like, well, then she's 16 years old. I go, well, then why? What is wrong with your face? She's like, oh, that's just our face. So that was all, yes, youth pastors really feel that. The teenagers are like, what does she mean? That's just our face. But youth pastors, from their own mouths, that's just their face. That's just their face, okay? So you can just fix just your face for this weekend, okay? All right, we're going to have fun today. Open up your Bibles. Do you have your Bibles? Open it to 2 Kings chapter 9. Second Kings, I do, uh, Hope did a great job, but I just want to stir your faith, you guys. Listen, I was, I was changed at an event like this, an event that was put on. I just, can we take a second and thank the Grace City Youth Team? You guys have done an incredible job. All that you have done that has gone into tonight, that has gone into this weekend, listen, they're creating space for you to encounter God because they know what can happen in your life when you encounter him. It's on the wall as you walk in. One encounter changes everything. That's not a lie. You can take, you can, you can take God's word on that. You can take his bet. You can test him on this. God says it. You can test me on this. His word won't return void, and one encounter can change everything. And so we understand that as adults, that an encounter in your teenage years can set your life apart forever. And so we work to create spaces like this, not because it's fun for us, right? We've got your face that we're dealing with, but because we know that an encounter can change your life. And so I just want to challenge you, because I'm going to pastor you for the next two days. You don't know what hardship the person next to you had to go through to be in that seat. You don't know if they got scholarships. You don't know if their parents scrounged together money. You don't know if they're hurting. You don't know how desperate they are. So don't you dare be selfish and take away from their experience by being distracted on Snapchat or TikTok or getting bored and opening your phone. Pay attention because you don't know what the person next to you needs. So don't steal their experience. Okay? Yes, ma'am? I'm just kidding. I won't make you guys say that. I really do think that God has something incredible for you guys, and it's going to be good. So that's what I'm praying for. Okay, we're going to be in 2 Kings. Listen, here's what's going on. 2 Kings, we've got Israel. Israel is God's chosen people, okay? If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a little bit of context for where we're picking up, because 2 Kings is a bit out there. So Israel, they're God's children, God's chosen nation. They're his favorites. Your mamas all have a favorite, right? Say amen if it's you. Um, so they're, they're the favorite people. They're God's chosen people. But Israel has, they, now God never intended them to be ruled by kings, but they have asked for kings to rule them. And so God says, okay. And so now here they are at this point in their history. They have this terrible line of kings that have been ruling over them. Evil rulers, evil kings. And so it's a really dark time. It's a really sad time for the people of God. And right now there is a king named Joram. Joram is the son of a man named Ahab and a woman named Jezebel. She's so bad that, she's, that an insult is named after her, right? And so we have Jezebel who is evil. They sacrifice children. They worship false gods. And they kill the prophets. They, they're they're anti-God. And Ahab is just as evil. Now Ahab and Jezebel got married and they had a baby, like a little demon baby, like an evil man, okay? And so the two evil rulers have an evil son, and now he's the one ruling, okay? And so Joram is ruling over Israel, and in this time, in the middle of this darkness, God has his prophet Elisha anoint a man named Jehu, and he prophesies over him destiny that Jehu is going to become king, and he's going to destroy this darkness. He's going to destroy Ahab and Jezebel in the reign of Joram, okay? Is that making sense? You guys got it? So we're going to pick up on that. Jehu is anointed king of Israel in 2 Kings chapter 9. We're going to read a lot of verses here, so hang with me. The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt. 
take this flask of olive oil with you and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go to him, get him away from his companions. Highlight that, underline that, circle that. And take him to an inner room. Then take this flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run, don't delay. So the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which of us, said Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants and prophets and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam and like the house of Baasha. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. When Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked, is everything all right? Why did this maniac come to you? You know the man and the sort of things he says, Jehu replied. That's not true, they said. Tell us. Jehu said, here is what the Lord told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. They blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. Now, Jehu goes on to fulfill that prophetic word. He goes on and he does it. He destroys the house of Ahab. He kills Jezebel. The dogs devour her. And he rids Israel of Baal worship. Baal worship is idol worship, okay? You guys understand? So Israel is called to worship Yahweh, the God that we worship just now in worship, right? In that worship time. They're called to worship the one true God. Baal is a false God. It's an idol that they've been worshiping. And, and what Jehu does is he rids the land of all the Baal worshipers. It's amazing what he does. And he brings them back to worship the one true God. And his reign, the reign of Jehu, lasted for four generations. Guys, so much of our lives are public. So much of your lives, we're dealing with a generation living a more public life than any other generation has. And we're figuring it out. And we're seeing what the effects of this public life are having, but you, uh, you have things that nobody's had before, and you're only getting more. You're only getting more social media platforms, right? So you've got YouTube, you've got Instagram, you've got TikTok, you've got Be Real, you've got Snapchat. You've got all of these, these things that are allowing you to be pioneers in a sense of living this very public life, more so than any other generation. We share everything. You share the dumbest things, you guys. You post the dumbest stuff. Here's my dog, my friend's eyebrow. I have watched teenagers during my messages, Snapchat. I mean, honestly, sometimes it's more interesting than what I'm saying. And I'm watching them and they're just like, they, I don't know if you all do this in Georgia, but like they, they just take a picture of what, like the ceiling? And I'm like, what is that? And like, just like, you just take it like shoulder, it's like just a part of my shoulder, like an eyebrow or a light bulb, just whatever it is. And then it's just those pictures back and forth. It's just dumb. Posting pictures of food and latte art. And, and this doesn't end at, I mean, adults are doing it too. We're posting dumb pictures that nobody cares about or needs to care about. We just want to share everything, right? And I have a I have a, an unpopular opinion, which is funny. It's an unpopular opinion that we actually all share, but we're just kind of working around it. We're like this big dysfunctional family where we all recognize this is a problem. We hate it, but we're dealing with it, and we're kind of we're, we're just living around it. We're ignoring it. And that, that unpopular opinion is social media is the worst. And like every time I say that, no matter what state I travel to, every group of young people, when I say social media is the worst, it's like, yes, it is. Like we're just so tired of it. Do you know why we don't like it? Because it's fake. And it's, here's the thing. We hate fake everything, you, especially you. I've never seen a generation come up more that's more vocal about fake. Like I don't like her, she's fake. I don't like fake. I don't like fake people. I don't like fake friends. I don't like fake teachers. I don't like fake. I don't like fake, fake. I don't like fake. fake Christian, fake this, fake that. That leader's fake. I don't like fake. But you are totally okay and you embrace the fake on social media. 
And so we're caught in this thing that's like, it doesn't make sense. I don't like it. And do you know why you don't like it? Because you weren't created for fake. You were actually created for things that are deep, meaningful, authentic, and real. This is who God is. And so he made you in his image. So you actually long for authenticity. And so this thing that we're wrestling with in social media is it's fake and it's also very shallow. Amen? It's very shallow. And, and we know this. Like, we know this. Here, the crazy thing about social media is it allows you to be something publicly that you are not privately. You all have friends who are dating and on social Like, they hate each other, though. Like, they're dating, but they shouldn't be. And they fight all the time, and it's toxic, and it's super unhealthy. But on social media, they're like, celebrating 10 hours. Love you. <laughs> it's our 48-hour it's our anniversary. <laughs> We're going to get married. We're going to get married. I love him. I love him so much. But like in real life, they're like, oh my gosh, I hate him. I want to break up with him. I'm going to break up with him. I broke up with him on our 47-hour anniversary. 48 hours together, love you forever. Like it's just this weird, you're like, what is happening? And adults do it too. You find me on family vacation. Now in reality, my family vacation, I'm spanking kids and I'm throwing goldfish in their mouth and I'm changing dirty diapers. But on social media, we look perfect. The reason I breathe, my children, you know. So we do this. It's, it's, it's shallow, it's fake, and... It's just crazy. The reality is none of us are getting transformed there. Because, like, no one's like, my life was just changed. I watched Charlie D'Amelio dance. Oh, my God. I was just transformed because I was on TikTok, and they were like, stop scrolling. God loves you. Oh, my gosh. Like... You know, it's not changing you. It's not discipling you. It's not transforming you. It's not making lasting impact. Because the things that are transforming you, the things that are actually making an impact are the things we're not posting about. It's the small groups. It's the late night chats with the youth leader. It's coffee with a friend where they open up about what their parents are going through when you have a breakup and you get to go chat with somebody and you talk about how hard it is and you talk about the anxiety of life and school and whatever else. These are all the unseen moments that happen in private that are actually the things that are transforming you at a deep level. Deep transformation happens in the unseen places of our lives, not the public places. And that's what this story is. In 2 Kings 9, what I just read is we see God anoint Jehu for leadership, anoint Jehu to change his generation. But first, Jehu had to go to an unseen place. He had to go to the inner room where nobody else could follow and where nobody else was to get anointed. You know, sometimes we want the anointing of God, but we're not willing to meet with him in the secret place. Sometimes we want the benefit of what God can do, and we want the transformation, but we won't go with him to the private places. But God is inviting you to a deep, meaningful relationship with him that happens in private. I'm gonna talk about the inner room tonight. I'm gonna say words like intimacy and unseen and, and private and in the secret place, and all of this is, it is God wants this relationship with you that is not on social media. God does not want a social media relationship with you. He wants a deep, authentic relationship with you. That is what can transform you. That is what can truly change your life, and this is what God, and the invitation is yours. Listen, here's the thing. I can preach it. We can talk about it. We can, we can present it, but ultimately, it's an invitation that you have to take, and this is what Jehu did. He got an invitation to go to the inner room. It's a picture that God is trying to show us. There is an invitation to step away and to get to an inner room, to be anointed, you know what anointed means? To be marked by God, to be smeared with his presence, to be, a, to be graced for purpose and destiny. It's everything that you want, but it's in the unseen. And I believe that God is extending that invitation to you tonight for a new lifestyle of intimacy. And so I'm not preaching tonight. I'm going to preach tomorrow, but tonight I just want to talk to you guys. The world is telling you a story. you got to recognize this. Listen, the world has an agenda. It is your soul. The world is after your soul. The enemy roams and he has an agenda to kill, to steal, and destroy. What? You. 
So you have to recognize this. Here's the thing, young people don't understand. Like, there's an agenda out there. Your phone has an agenda. The media has an agenda. Your music has an agenda. Like, the industry has an agenda. It's the world that, that has an agenda. It's after your soul. God also has an agenda. Do you know what it is? It is your soul. So how interesting, a really great man of God named Charles Spurgeon said, Think about how valuable a human soul must be if both God and the devil are after it. You are a highly valuable commodity, young person. Young girl that thinks that nobody wants her, nobody will love her, she's not pretty enough, beautiful enough, whatever enough. You're valuable. You're being sought after. Your soul is priceless. And so the world is after your soul, and God is after your soul. And so there's two narratives that we are facing, okay? And the world is saying this. The world says, I will satisfy all the cravings that you have. You want to be accepted. You want to be loved. You want to be popular. You want to feel worthy. You want to feel like a man. You want to, you want to feel wanted. You want all these things. I can give you that. This is what the world says. I can do that for you. But you know what happens? It can't deliver on that promise. It's not. We understand this. The stats of the social media use and partaking of the world and the, the, and the relationship to your mental health, it's showing. Like the world is being exposed in this. The more that I partake of the world, the higher my anxiety is. The more I partake of the world, the greater my depression is. The more I partake of the world, the more I want to commit suicide. The more I partake of the world, the lonelier I feel. And so the world has these promises the enemy is saying, hey, I can deliver, I can satisfy. But the truth is, is it can't. And God has another story. God's saying, I know what your desires are, and I'm the only one that can satisfy. But it's in the, it's in the inner room that you're going to find it. It is an intimacy, an intimacy with Jesus, a personal relationship with him that you will find satisfaction for your desires. You will find comfort for your soul. You will find joy. You will find peace. You will find relief from pain. You will find all of these things in intimacy with God. And so here's the strategy of the enemy. Keep you shallow. Keep you unsatisfied. So you, you, you get, you know, you're trying things out, that the world has to offer, relationships, money, sex, you know, whatever, media, and you consume, you consume, you consume, and it doesn't satisfy. And you just stay in this cycle. Have any of you ever been hungry for something? Girls get this more so, because we just are blessed with these hormones, but you have cravings for something, and you like, don't know what you want to eat, and so you just like, keep looking in the fridge, you know, like over and over and over again, right? It's like, oh, do I want something salty? Do I want something sweet? Like, I'm really hungry, but you can't quite find the thing that satisfies. You all have this experience. What happens when you're hungry, but what you are eating doesn't satisfy your hunger? What happens? You are led by your cravings. And same is true for your soul. So the enemy's like, if I can keep you unsatisfied, I can keep you shallow. If I can keep you in fake, if I can keep you in this realm, you'll continually be unsatisfied and then you'll be led by your cravings. It's a bad plan. And do you know why the world unsatisfies? Again, you were not created for shallow. It doesn't satisfy. You weren't created for fake. It doesn't satisfy. You were created for the real depth that only God can offer. And so we live in this public world. It's not producing any depth, but it's trying to convince you otherwise. It's like, hey, acceptance is in popularity. You'll feel happy when. Oh, come on, you gotta be honest. How many of you have the narrative in your head, I will be happy when? I'll be happy when I make the team. I'll be happy when my life is like this. I'll be happy when I'm this age. I'll be happy when I weigh this much. I'll be happy when I have those shoes. I'll be happy when. And God has another story. The kingdom of God says, you can have fulfillment for everything right now if you come to the inner room. So this is about an inner room lifestyle. I'm inviting you tonight to be like Jehu to step away, to get into the inner room, get anointed, meet with God, and discover how much he loves you. And I really do believe, Grace City Youth, that I'm looking at a generation of the secret place. I think it's what's happening at Asbury. If you're not familiar, there's a revival breaking out right now at a college. And they're saying it's the revival for Gen Z. I believe that he is calling a Jehu generation who are going to step away from everything that's not been satisfying. 
And you're going to start to find something. You're going to, the, the lies of the world are going to get exposed. And you're going to be like, I've been, I've been trying things. I've been going places that, that aren't delivering. And I'm only going to find what I need in Jesus. Secret place lifestyle. If you're taking notes in that amazing book that you have, a secret place lifestyle is countercultural. We just recognize this. I understand that this life that I'm talking about is not the popular path. Countercultural, meaning it's not popular. It is other. It is opposite. And so it's really difficult for us to go the other way. It's really difficult for us to not go the popular path. Countercultural is uncomfortable because it is so different. But, but the Bible is very clear about this. This story, Jehu, he had to step away from his friends. The prophet was directed by God specifically. He said, when you get there, have him step away from his companions and take him to an inner room. Different translations say, have him step away from his fellows, have him step away from his associates, or have him step away from his friends. Young person, the invitation that God has for you might require you to step away from your friends. He had to go to this inner room. You gotta think about this story. Now, you gotta know a little bit of context. Ramoth Gilead, the city, is like, it's like the poppin' city. It is not Leesburg, okay? It's not Albany. It's Atlanta. It's Chicago. It's New York. It's like where everything is happening. It's the hub. And Jehu is a man in this city. He's the commander. So like Jehu's got it going on. Like he has a reputation. I imagine he's probably very good looking like my husband. Like Jehu, he is, he's got influence. He's got position. He's got authority. He's got resources. This is not just, this isn't some like, you know, unseen, unpopular kind of person. Jehu is the commander of the army in Ramoth Gilead. And so God chooses him. Now, it's interesting because the Bible's full of God, you know, taking the lonely and the shepherd boy and the poor person and the unwanted. Absolutely. But the truth is God wants everybody. And in this story, he's saying, I want the one that has a reputation to risk. And I'm going to ask him to step away from that reputation. I'm going to take the one that's got something to lose, and I'm going to ask him to risk it all for me. I want the one that's got some influence, who's leading some other people, and I'm going to ask him to step away. So he gets there, and the prophet gets there, and he's around everybody. Now, you got to understand this, too. Prophets in this time that I described, right, for the demon baby who's ruling, prophets are not popular. They're the ones carrying the word of the Lord in a, in a culture that's not worshiping God. A lot like now. It's a lot like modern times now. To be a Christian now, like to believe in like two different genders only now is like, whoa, like, whoa. And so the prophet of God comes, and so they call prophets madmen, maniacs, you know, psychopaths. Like they don't like the prophets. So the prophet shows up, and he's like, I have a word for you, commander, in the midst of, you know, he could have come to Jehu at night. God can come to you when you're alone, not around your friends, but maybe he wants to know what you'll do when you've got something to lose. And so he shows up and he's like, I got a word for you and Jehu, I love Jehu, right? You know that it's a wrestle because he's like, he goes, I have a word for you, commander. Read the text. He goes, for who? He's like, I just said, like, for you, commander. There's not other commanders. It's like, you know, what's your name? Yeah. Say it again. Briley? It'd be like Michelle, like, I got a word for you, Briley. And she'd be like, oh, which one? No, like, you know, like, Briley, I just said your name. That's kind of what happens right now. I got a word for you, Jehu. He's like, oh, wow, for who? You know, hoping it's not him. And he's like, for you. But you need to come to the inner room. You need to step away from this crowd right now. You gotta come. Listen, God in that moment didn't want the commander of the army. He didn't want the popular guy. He didn't want the influencer. He didn't want the rich kid. He didn't want the smart one. He didn't want whatever. He wanted a son who was willing to forsake everything to go to the inner room with the prophet of God and meet with his father and hear the promise of God for his life. That's what God wants this weekend. He doesn't want what you came with. He doesn't want who you came with. He doesn't want your cute fit. He doesn't want your baggage. He wants his son or daughter who will say, I'll step away from everything and I'll meet with you, God. And so Jehu steps away and he goes to this inner room. He went to this unseen place. 
Listen, you are going to have to at some point step away. I don't care how sold out you are for God. A life with him is continually being called to step away. You're always going to need to go to the secret place. You're always going to need to prioritize intimacy. You're always going to have to have a private life with God. What I'm talking about, I want to commission you. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. I want to plead with you as a young person now, develop a private life with God that is not on social media and is not shared with your friends and is independent on your parents or your pastor or your small group leader or your best friend. Develop a private life with God. That is where you will get transformed. That is where you will get purpose. That is where you will find healing. You think that Christianity or this church or whatever isn't delivering on what it said it would? You're like, well, I still have pain. I still have trouble. I still have, I still have depression. My parents are going through a divorce. All this stuff that God says he is, I don't experience that. That song run to the father doesn't mean anything to me. Have you met with God in the unseen place and allowed him to soak over you and pour over you? And so he calls Jehu away, he says, step away from your friends. This is why it's countercultural. It's hard. Your friends are everything. Your friends are life. Like, I understand that. And especially if you're hurting. Young people who are hurting, you find other hurting young people. And you band together and you get really close with friends. Listen, nobody understands that more than me. I was not raised Christian. I was raised by wolves in a crazy house full of addiction, full of mental health issues. My dad left when I was young. And so I had a lot of pain. 13 years old, I started to find some people who also had some pain. And we just made this little group that we were just hurting. We were kind of orphaned and addicted and just kind of seeking comfort. We were broken. And you get really close when you bond over brokenness. This is why unhealthy relationships are extremely difficult to pull away from, because you bond in your brokenness. And so I had, so now fast forward like four years of that, of that kind of friendship where it's like, I don't have dad, I got you. My mom's not emotionally available, like you are all I have. My siblings aren't connected to me, like my friends were literally all I had. We were like ride or die, okay? And I have this moment as a teenager, my junior year of high school, I have a Jehu moment. I have a a prophet showing up on the steps saying, I have a word for you, Becky. And I had this encounter where God was calling me to him. And I knew I cannot go. I knew I I can't go towards God with these friends. I knew they were going another direction. I knew it was going to require me to step away from people that I thought loved me, from people that I had been there for. And I had to make a choice for myself. Am I gonna step away and go meet with God in the unseen place? Am I gonna step away from reputation? Am I gonna step away from Friday night parties? Am I gonna step away from all the things that I have built my life around, from all these friends, am I going to step away and go see what God has to offer me? It was the best decision I ever made. You know what I have never once did, and I am telling you this, I made that decision at 17. You know what I never have once said? I wish I would have hung around a little longer with him. I have no regrets stepping away from from that group. Now, I long that they would come to know Jesus. I long that they would be transformed, but that's not my job. You don't know me, I don't meet anybody at the end of their life that's like, I wish I just like, would have given God less. I wish I wouldn't have wasted my teenage years at church. It's always the opposite. People at the end of their life who followed God for any length of time, they're always like, I wish I could have given him more. I wish I would have started following him sooner. It's hard for you to wrap your head around now. You're just gonna have to take my word for that young person. I wouldn't be who I am today if I would not have taken that invitation. You might feel lonely. You might feel overwhelmed. You might feel nervous, rejected, parents going through a divorce. Let me tell you this. You can reach out all you want to what the world has to offer. You can keep consuming. You can keep scrolling. 
You can keep hooking up. You can keep using. You can keep vaping. You can keep whatever. You can keep partying. You can keep taking up the world for that offer. Can you satisfy? Can you fix this? Can you numb this? Can you take this away? You can do that all you want, but the only satisfaction that you will ever find, the only true healing, the only real wholeness, the only encounter with peace and love and acceptance that you will ever find will be in the secret place with God. I'm talking just you and him, where you say, I'm here, I'm here to lay it all down. You can have all of me, and you just let him speak identity over you. You let him pour over you. Secret place lifestyle, it's countercultural, and it changes you. It absolutely changes you. Listen, Jehu goes into this inner room. Nobody else is there. He's not, you know, he doesn't, he's not like, can I just bring, like, my two closest friends? Can I just bring, like, my main guy? Can I just bring, like, my main homie? Like, can just one come with me? He goes, it's just him and the prophet. He gets anointed king, and all of a sudden he comes out, and he's different. He gets a promise. This is what God wants to do. You're feeling purposeless. You're feeling like, I don't really know what God wants to do with my life. I don't feel like I have any destiny. I don't feel like I'm here for any reason. I think it was just an accident. Go and meet with God in the inner, in the, in the inner room, in the secret place of scripture and worship and, and discipleship, and he will begin to unveil to you the future, the promise, the plan that he created you for. He didn't waste anything making you. You were brought here by your parents. You were created in the heavenlies, and you absolutely have a destiny. But you got to go find it. You got to step away. You got to risk something. And you got to say, God, what have you created me for? And so he steps away. He gets anointed. You're going to do this in your nation, in your generation. And it's such a powerful moment. It's such a transforming encounter. His time in the unseen place. Are you tracking? Are you tracking Georgia youth? His time where nobody else was. His time, his encounter was so transformative that he steps out and he's different. He's noticeably different. He steps out and they're like, what did that madman say to you? You notice they call him a madman. People without a relationship with the Holy Spirit will always mock yours. Ew, what happened to you at the weekend? What do you mean you're not gonna go with us? What do you mean you're not gonna talk like that about girls anymore? What do you mean you're gonna break up with them? What do you mean you're not going to do this thing that we've always done? Your encounter should change you. You should look different. And it so changes him. They're like, what did that madman say to you? And Jehu, you know, whatever, he tries to play it off. He's like, oh, you know, you can read it. Guys, I'm not making this up. This is the story. He goes, oh, you know, you know the man and the sort of things he says. (laughs) How vague. He's like, oh, you know the man and the sort of things he says. And they're like, what? They couldn't deny it. The the, the encounter happens. He comes out. Prophet runs, right? God says, open the door, run away. Prophet runs off. And Jehu comes out, and he just tries to play it off. They're like, what happened? What did he say? Ah, you know. You know the man and the kind of things he says. And they're like, no, tell us what happened. This is what happens in the inner room, in the secret place. You come out, and you should glow. You smile, you feel lighter, you've got hope, you're talking different, you're dressing different, you're walking different, you're watching different, you're listening different, and your friends should go, whoa, what happened? And then Jehu gets to say, I'm going to be king of Israel. And you know what his friends do? His friends who aren't following God, they're not worshiping, they're not worshiping Yahweh, they begin to proclaim he is going to be king over Israel. They get transformed. You want to reach your campus? You want to change your friends? Start meeting with God in the inner room and come out different so they've got reasons to ask you questions. That's my time. Thank you very much. No, we don't have to turn the lights I don't know why we turned the lights off. Your time in the secret place will transform you, you guys. I was different. I told you, right? Dad left when I was five. I was just this crazy teenager with all kinds of pain. And I just, I just wore labels like, I'm the girl. I'm the broken girl. I'm fatherless. I'm, I do this with boys. I do this on Friday night. I do this under the bleachers at the football games. I just started to wear all these labels that you would as a rejected teenage girl. And that was my identity, and I wore it. I wore it proudly. I, I, was, I was broken. And all of a sudden, I begin to meet with God. You know, it's so crazy. This is, this is all I knew to do. God, God begins to just call me to a life with him. I just get to, I'm just in places like this, honestly. 
hearing messages, being around other people, young people going after God. And I'm like, I'm, something needs to change. And I feel God calling me to, to the secret place. But I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so I thought, okay, I want to meet with God. I don't know where to meet with God. I don't know what to do. But I know that there's preachers on TV. I'm 17 years old. This is my, this is my story. I'm 17 years old in a small town in Indiana. And I decided I want to meet with God. I want answers to this pain in my life. I want, I want these labels off of me. I want to be different. And so I said, I'm going to set my alarm. This is no youth pastor telling me this. I've got no app. Like, wake up early and read your Bible. Like, I've got no youth group, you know. You've got to get your own hunger. People are too soft in your generation, you guys. I'm okay to be tough on you. Is that all right? Like, there's just some decisions you've got to make. Like, well, I'll do it when it's easy. No, you won't. Then you're going to be 45, wasted your life, looking back at all the decisions you could have made. Want to be different? Oh, okay, hold on. All right. So I go, there's preachers on TV. I know that. So I set my alarm. I'm going to get up an hour before I got to get ready. Now, I'm a girl. I have a long time to get ready. So I'm like two, three hours before I really have to wake up to get to high school. I'm going to get up an hour. I'm going to set my alarm. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to watch the preachers on TV. The biggest name I knew was Joyce Meyer. So I'm like, I'm going to watch Joyce Meyer. You know, do you know who Joyce Meyer is? She's old. She's old now. She was old then. Like, she's old, okay? I didn't have Judah Smith, like, oh, with the swaggy, cool glasses, preaching messages about relevant things. Like, I had Joyce Meyer. I just want to meet with God. I'm going to get in his word. I had, I had my mom's women's devotional Bible that she had to just, like, make sure we were all not going to go to hell, right? I get a notebook, a blue spiral-bound notebook from math class. Get a notebook, a Bible, and I get up 6 a.m. every day to watch Joyce Meyer and then a woman named Paula White on Daystar, because it's all I knew. I can't talk about those mornings without getting so emotional, because that is where I was transformed. Nobody knew I was doing it. Nobody saw it. Nobody joined me. And I would just listen to the messages about God's promises. It was like water. It was everything I needed. It was everything that I had longed for. A girl in a broken home raised by drug addicts. I began to hear about stories of God using people just like me. How he could take away pain, how he could meet us, how, we, how I had a destiny and a purpose. I had never heard that I was made for something. And so I started to listen to this old woman preach the gospel. And I did that every day. I just kept coming back. I developed a secret place. And it began to change me. It changed my physical appearance. It, I'm telling you, Friends would start to ask, they're like, what is going on? I had a reputation. What is going on, Becky? Fox, that was my maiden name. You can imagine the fun I had with that, with the boys. What is going on in Becky Fox's house? What's going on in her life? The inner room was changing who I was. It was transforming me. Do you have a relationship that's so real? In private, God just begins to speak identity over you. You're not rejected, you're loved. You're worth more than how that guy's treating you. You don't have to sexualize girls in the locker room. I've called you to be a man after my own heart. You don't need to do that past 11 o'clock on your phone. Put that trash away. This is where God begins to change you. This is where God begins to heal you. This is where God begins to reveal to you what you were created for. But it's hard, it's countercultural, but it's transformative. Following Jesus isn't, it's not, a, it's not about a public display first. You can be a lot of things publicly that you aren't privately. We talked about that. You can be a lot of things publicly that you are not privately, but a follower of Jesus is not one of them. You cannot be a true follower of Jesus only publicly. It starts in the inner room. It starts in intimacy. 
That's what I wanted to talk about tonight as we build upon this and we go after more messages and we're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about holiness tomorrow. We're gonna talk about God's purposes. We're gonna talk about dreams. But it does not go anywhere if we cannot call you to a secret place lifestyle. And I don't believe that any of you are too young to fully grasp this. I think you could start this at 12 years old. I think you could start meeting with God without anybody else. I think you could start reading your word. I think you could start listening to worship music in the car. I think you could start praying before you go to school. I think that you could start interceding for your family who doesn't know Jesus. I think you could start a private life with God right now, whether you're in sixth grade or you're in college. And the reward is the satisfaction. Again, it is crazy how much we'll talk about, well, God doesn't speak. I'm like, no, you're not listening. Well, God's really not there. No, you don't ever meet with him in the secret place. How could God not be there? He's everywhere. You're not looking. You're not stopping. You're not meeting with him. It's crazy. You know, my kids, this is a, a lot of us have this kind of relationship with God where we're like, yeah, 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 I'll pray when I need something. I'm going to start following you when things really hit the fan. When there's crisis, then I'm a Christian. When I really need you. I have three kids. If my kids only wanted a relationship with me when they were hungry, when they were broke, when they were in trouble, think about that. I would understand there's something wrong here. If you're only coming to me when you need something. Now, my three, when, my, when my boy was three, he's five now. When he was three, he had this cute little phase where if I didn't give him what he wanted, he'd say, I don't love you anymore. Okay, I know. His name's Julian. We call him Juju. So Juju had this, fa- this, this phase where he's like, you know, I want Oreos for breakfast. I'm like, no, Juju, you can't have Oreos for breakfast. Well, I don't love you anymore. Now, do you know why I didn't kick him out of my house? Do you know why I didn't spank him for that? Do you know why I didn't like yell at him? Do you know why I didn't get mad? Like we all go like, ooh, you know, like you all, like none of you were like, wow, what a jerk. Like, wow, her kid's a total bleep, you know? Like nobody thought that because I said he was three. So the minute I say he's three, we go, oh, that's okay. We understand he's a baby. It is a sign of immaturity when you only want a relationship with God when he can give you something. You're not getting that. It is a sign of immaturity. You are a baby when you approach your relationship with God like I am here for what you can give me and if you don't give me what I want then I don't want a relationship with you. Now that's okay when you're three but you're not called to stay three. You are called to mature in Christ Jesus. So many of us are complaining and we don't want to give God our all because we're like well he doesn't do exactly what I want when I want it, how I want it. And where I'm like, man, okay, I guess if you want to stay a baby. I guess if that's the kind of relationship with, that you want with him. But that's not what you're called to. That's not the full picture of what he has for you. That's not the fullness of you living out your purpose and your destiny. You are called to mature in Christ. Meaning, I am not here for what I can get or for what you can give me. But I am here because you are worthy. Because you gave me everything. Because you laid down your life for me. So it is all of me for all of you. That is why I'm here. I have a worship team can come on up. Because you'll just never be satisfied in, the, in public. You're never going to be fully accepted. world has this story. If it's, if it's not seen, it didn't happen. It doesn't have a high like count. Don't put it on the feed. And we've hide your likes. You can hide your likes on Instagram. And you know you do it because you're insecure. We have created a, a system around this concept of I only want what other people applaud. I only matter when other people care. It's amazing to me that Instagram created that. Like now you can hide the like count. It's like, well, I just do it because like we shouldn't be caught up on like count. No, you do it because if it had a billion likes, there's no way you'd be hiding that. I have, I worked with young people for eight years. They literally, girls would delete things. They'd be like, did you post that? Yeah, I posted it. Yeah, I didn't get many likes. Yeah, I know, I'm gonna archive it. I'm like, wow. This is the generation that's being raised up. Worship team can come on up. Are they up here? You guys are awesome. 
The point is, it's just not gonna satisfy you and you're seeing it, okay? You know it, but what can satisfy you? I'm here to tell you, there is another thing being offered. It's in the kingdom of God and it doesn't, it doesn't disappoint. It doesn't fall short. It will bring you what you need. It will heal, heal you, it will. It will accept you. It will, it will cause you to feel worthy. It will cause you to feel purposeful. It will bring you joy. It will bring you hope. It will bring you peace. It will bring you love. It absolutely will. But it is up to you to take that invitation like Jehu and step away from your friends. You want lasting impact? Do you want to matter? What Jehu did is still being talked about. He met with God in the inner room, away from his friends, God anointed, didn't care what people thought. This is what you're after. This is what you're called to. Step away. Way. Go get the word of the Lord. Go get anointed. Meet with him. Open up your Bible before you open up Instagram first thing in the morning. Take, take 30 minutes and turn off that trash music you listen to, not because of legalism, but because of relationship and spend time in the presence of God in worship. Begin to ask him. I'm not here for, for, for I'm not here with a, with a list of requests. I'm not here for everything I need you to come through on. I'm not here to complain. God, I just want to know, do you want to use me? God, I'm just here to worship you. I'm just here to build a life with you. I'm just here to meet with you. It's my favorite thing when my kids climb up in my lap and I'm like, what do you need, baby? Nothing, mama. I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. I just want to meet with you. This is what changes us. This is what transforms us. This is what brings revival. You are called to ignite a change in your generation. You, you are. It's you and it's you and it's you. It's not for your neighbor. It's not for someone else. It's not for, for those that came before you. It's not for those coming after you. We are going to see an awakening in your generation if you answer the call to meet with God in the inner room. Listen to me. Let me tell you, they were telling me. They were telling me about the kind of stuff that goes down in Harvey's parking lot and what is happening in Leesburg, Georgia. They're telling me the stats. Let me tell you, your community needs a generation awakened to the love of God. And if it doesn't start now, what are you waiting for? Would you stand up? Here's the thing, I wanted, to, I wanted to, to do this first because nothing matters tomorrow if you don't have a value of meeting with God. Nothing matters next week. Like it actually doesn't matter if you don't wanna answer the call to develop a secret place lifestyle with Jesus. And we understand that. This is where it starts, intimacy. And Jesus talked about this. In Matthew 6, he repeats something like a, like a mom telling you to clean up the room. He keeps saying, your father who is in secret will reward you in secret. Do this, your father who is in secret will reward you in secret. Your father who is in secret will reward you in secret. Your father who is in secret will reward you in secret. No wonder the enemy is after the secret place in your generation because it is where the reward is. It is in secret. Build a life that is starting in intimacy. Here's the thing, you don't have to be perfect. You, that this is the beautiful thing. You don't have to, it's not a personality type. It's not a status. It's not an age. You don't need to bring anything but yourself. I showed up to that first appointment, whatever you call it. I just made an appointment for myself to meet with God. And I'm like a wreck. I got eating disorders, I'm self-mutilating, I'm fooling around, I'm partying, but I'm so broken, I'm so hurting, I'm so desperate for what God can offer me that I just showed up with me. God didn't say, hey, come back when you, when you knock this, when you kick that habit. Hey, come back when you got a like week of you know, no sins. Hey, come back when you fix your potty mouth. He just began to meet with me. He accepted me as I am but he didn't keep me who I was. Started to transform me into who I'm called to be. So I'm here now, first generation in my family, Christian, to be married with kids to the same guy. There's no divorce, you know what's happening? I am transforming my family story. I am changing the generation that I've come from. I am setting a new legacy. Anyone in here like, I'll just, I wanna do anything than what my parents did start with you in Jesus. If you want to answer this call tonight, if you want to say yes to that invitation to become